Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Bonus Cuts. I'm Zach Rissler. I'm back again with Mike Pratz. I hope you enjoyed our last episode, and we are excited to be back with our next guest, Dr. Amy Zhao. Amy is an assistant professor in the Department of Pediatrics at UT Southwestern Medical Center. She specializes in pediatric emergency medicine. Dr. Zhao earned her medical degree and doctoral degree in molecular biophysics at UT Southwestern Medical School. She completed residency in pediatrics at the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai and received advanced training in pediatric emergency medicine through a fellowship at Northwestern in Chicago. So welcome, Amy. Thank you for having me. Today, we're going to be discussing her article, Inner Observer Agreement of Inferior Vena Cava Ultrasound Collapse Duration and Correlated Outcomes in Children with Dehydration. This was published in Pediatric Emergency Care. It was a prospective trial looking at if the IVC collapsibility and collapse duration correlated with needing IV fluids. So an interesting note about this article, it actually was what pushed Amy into pediatric emergency medicine. Mm -hmm. So she did this in residency. And I think it's amazing that you did such a cool trial while you were a resident. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on this article, get the inside scoop on, you know, how it came to be and what you kind of take from it. So, you know, we do our little review and then we love to discuss with the authors to get the real deal scoop, not just, you know, what we made from it. So I guess the first question we could we could ask is, you know, how did you come up with this idea to do the duration of collapse instead of, you know, what a lot of people do with the IVC is either a binary 50% or not 50% or maybe a collapsibility index of a percentage of collapse. Where'd you come up with your idea? Yeah. So as you point out, what we found in the IVC literature is there's a lot of literature out there in both adults and pediatrics and the collapsibility is measured typically by its static dimension, the, di the diameter or several di diameters, right? So it's either the ratio of the absolute diameters or is the diameter relative to the aorta or some sort of other metric that involves measuring really a static, a static length. The problem with that is each of these metrics involves multiple measurements. And then sort of separately, my mentor, Dr. Jin Sung, in a separate study, this is before my time as a resident, was that he looked at the IVC diameter in healthy uvolemic children at just regular pediatrician visits. And what he noticed was that, you know, just the IVC just never collapsed, right? And so and when I say never collapsed, I mean it never had a 100% collapse where the walls just never came in contact. And so then by the definition of this article, really that collapse duration is, is zero. So we thought, hey, there's such a wealth of information in dynamic videos, you know, instead of looking at static images. So what if we were to just describe the collapse as a function of time as opposed to a function of dimensions? So that's, that's sort of how that came about. Just, hey, let's just take a look and see what we find and, and go from there. Yeah, that's so smart. Like using all the available data that we already normally collect with the clips that we're doing. And instead of, you know, taking the clips and then like slicing it down to a single frame and trying to figure out like, what's that? Why don't we just look at the whole picture, which seems to mirror the actual physiology that we care about? Exactly. It seems like this has never really been done before. So this really adds to the existing literature on, on IBC and its use in dehydration and other 
you know, physiologic properties. So it's really awesome. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, what we came up with would like to think is there's a really fairly new and novel metric to qual to quantify, you know, it's not, it's sort of a semi-quantitative category we're put it into, but really is sort of the beginning of quantifying that collapsibility as a function of, again, as the time, as not, not dimension. And to really demonstrate that there is potential for really improving, you know, what we have. So what we had was really more of a proof concept, but can we improve on that integrated reliability, for example? And then can we do a better job of predicting clinical outcome in children with dehydration. Yeah, I really appreciated how you tied it to a clinical outcome because that's kind of what we care about. Like you were in this paper, your outcome was, did this child have to be admitted or not? Could they just get PO hydration, which is a big kind of fork in the road? Do we need to put in an IV, give them some fluids, see what happens there? Or can they safely tolerate oral hydration and maybe go home after that? So I, I think to summarize your findings, what we saw from this evidence is that, first of all, there was great correlation in people that were trying to determine the degree of collapse, the duration of collapse, I should say. What we found was that there was a high level of agreement in the operators and also the experts who were looking at these clips for the duration of IVC collapse. But then also what was found is that the children who had non-collapsing IVCs were more likely to successfully have PO hydration without the need for IV. Am I saying that right? Is is that accurate? Yeah, exactly. And so the, the less collapsed it is, the more likely they are to just tolerate PO and not never have a need for IV, for IV fluids. Exactly. And never need to come back was the other thing it seemed like. They, it's not like we sent them home and then, you know, a day later they came back for IV fluid, right? So... I think really the clinical outcome here is is great. Yeah, and we felt pretty good about that that sort of secondary outcome because we we actually this is not just a chart review of whether they came back to our system. This is we made individual phone calls to to all these families to see did, you, did they follow up elsewhere if they're not in our system. Yeah, that's fantastic. Awesome, Amy. Can you comment in this study? You looked at a couple different correlations between operators. You looked at the ones between the emergency, the pediatric emergency physicians who were doing the scans, but then you also incorporated an expert in ultrasound looking over those images again. And your end results report a lot of correlation coefficients between the different combinations of those things. What's Why did you choose to do multiple correlations and which ones do you think are, are most useful for interpreting this data? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, to be honest, initially, you know, when we, so that first kappa, I believe it was something around maybe point 5.6. It was it was all right, but it's not the greatest. Is really we thought, wow, this is not as as well as good as we thought, you know, because really the the experienced reviewer here is Dr. Sung, you know, my mentor. You know, he he's the one that was did the training sets with all the other operators who obtained the the videos. He was also one that trained me, who was you know the novice reviewer of the videos, and thought, okay, like everyone should should know how to do this in the exact same way. But obviously, there's sort of natural variation in your clinical in your judgment and especially because it's such a dynamic study what we're doing. So I think initially we thought, you know, let's just aggregate all the data, see how that integrative reliability comes out. And then we thought, okay, what if we only looked at 
the videos done by the more experienced providers. And the reason we did that was because some of the videos were just not the greatest quality, you know, and it's not, and you know, I was a resident at the time, so I might, my job would have been even worse, you know, if I were to obtain the videos myself, but it's, it takes, I think, you know, what it comes down to is it just takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of comfort with picking up that probe. And what we're trying to, you know, tease out is, Hey, assuming the ideal world scenario, assuming everyone has the greatest, ideal, best, longest amount of training, how good can we get that reliability to be? So does that answer your question? That's perfect. Yeah, it's it's really nice that we have both of those because when we introduce a fairly novel idea, there's two questions. First, how feasible is this for the everyday point of care ultrasound user? And that's what you, I think you addressed by the first correlation between the, the interoperator coefficient kappa, which I think is 0.57. And then, but the other, second question is how good could this possibly be under ideal circumstances like you were saying and that's the second one which was even higher so i think ideally if this becomes more standard and people get a lot of training and experience and this is the language we start talking in then you can see that it can be really helpful so i like having both of those things so yeah i'm glad that you did that yeah exactly and it's sort of a, a reality check too you know because arguably when you're doing this in real time you don't have the luxury of time oh let me slow down the video to you know point three the speed and see it really how much of the really collapsing it's really it's a quick look right because you want to be making your judgment your decision in the moment and then you're doing it in the first look because it's time sensitive because you don't want to wait for a zofran peel trial for that to fail yeah i i like that you have both because a lot of studies that we review or we read it really just focus on kind of best case scenario mm -hmm. and this kind of did both in one study so that was really really neat one one other question i had for you is and i, I think this is really a kind of a great for early researchers to hear is if you're going to redo this study what kind of lessons did you learn i know halfway through any study i've i've been a part of it's always kind of like oh man i kind of wish we did we did this so is there anything that you guys can take away that said yeah i think we could have improved the study by doing something different yeah and i, I think the biggest thing if you look at our method section is you know one of the two blinded reviewers you know dr sung he was also one of the the experienced clinicians who obtained the ibc ultrasound video clips in the first place and so you know as blinded as as the review was because we did not do it in real time in a clinical setting and the clinical decision on iv versus po was made way you know weeks if not months prior to us reviewing the, the actual videos i i think it's arg it's hard to really you know argue for complete blinding in this case and so if we had more ultrasound expertise more staff availability i would definitely want to make sure that the clinicians performing the initial studies obtaining the videos were entirely separate from from the blinded reviewers so they're truly blinded amy i think we have to get into a little bit about the difference between pediatric and adults you know as you alluded to there's some things that have been studied in pediatrics that haven't really been entertained as much in the adult population such as mm -hmm. you know ivc to aorta ratios and obviously there's a lot of differences between you know young pediatric patients and and adults in terms of the size or what you might expect from their ivc do you think that this might apply to the adult population? That's a great question, Mike. And I think one, say the biggest physiologic difference between peds and adults is children have a faster baseline respiratory cycle. And so that's going to affect that frequency of that physiologic collapse of the IVC. And so I'd say in our case, you know, because there's 
there's a, a, a certain amount of physiologic collapse that, you know, in healthy children, it ne it's never a true hundred percent collapse. But I think because it's such a fast cycle of tending these six, six second video clips, slowing it down and sort of summing it as a function of time, that really helped us, you know, qualify and, and only quantify that collapse much better in a much more robust way, arguably, than, than looking at the static dimensions. So I'd be curious how this would work out in adults. And my understanding that they're compared to pediatric literature, there's better intubator reliability measuring the IVC diameter. So am I correct to say that? And then there is a lot of studies correlating to the to the central venous pressure. Yeah, no, you're right on that. I think there's plenty of intraorator reliability, but the harder thing is correlating it to something meaningful in clinical mm -hmm. practice. And that's been kind of variable in the adult literature in terms of what to do with the IVC that you see. And I wonder, you know, because adults, you know, at baseline have a much slower respiratory rate, whether you might actually get better quality videos in general, you know, you're not dealing with crying babies, you know, you're able to, you know, for the most part, talk them into kind of being relaxed, rooming supine and allowing to get the acoustic window you need for your pictures and your videos. I guess you, you don't work with enough adults because... <laughs> I, I deal with a lot of, a lot of crying adults. <laughs> crying adults. No, no but kidding. that's a great point. But, Amy, are, are you doing this clinically routinely? And if so, do you have any practical pointers to performing the scan? So to be honest, I don't, I'm not performing this as, as much as I would like. And I think that sort of, you know, gets to a bigger point I wanted to make is I think in adult emergency medicine, you guys have such a great culture to just pick up the probe, get that additional data. And it's, it's such an objective piece of you know, information, you know, to to supplement your physical exam findings. And this culture is definitely a lot less per pervasive in pediatrics. And definitely the hope is to adopt this more widely and not only, you know, among our pediatric EM fellows, but really in our pediatric residents, in our trainees, the non-emergency medicine trainees, so that, you know, just to get comfortable picking up the pro and just taking a look. And I think, you know, we do it a lot for, you know, looking at soft tissue, possible abscess, things like that. But I'd say less so looking at the IBC, but definitely if, if it's a child who's, you know, I'm on the border of deciding on PO versus versus IV. If there's a parental, if there's strong parental preference that, to be honest, that typically trumps everything else, you know, especially if, if I, I think the child is very much borderline for one versus the other. But otherwise, yeah, picking up the probe here and there, it, it's definitely going to help guide my decision making. That makes a lot of sense to me. Amy, Any this has been really fantastic. Do you have any other thoughts or notes about the study that you wanted to bring up? I think, you know, again, I think biggest takeaway is, you know, this is this is a good proof of concept study, right? But it's really that first step. And so, you know, obviously the my bigger hopes and dream is one day we can do this on a much bigger scale, right? With a much larger, more robust training set of, of video clips for each one of the clinical operators, for all the reviewers. Point of care ultrasound is hard, you know, and it's it, but I think a lot of it is that steep learning curve in the very beginning. And once you get into it, it's it just becomes becomes more second nature. It's like picking up your stethoscope. And I think that's that's a great culture that you guys are building with this podcast podcast and happy to be part of it. Yeah. So for all those pediatric people out there, contact Amy and, and let's get a multi-center trial started. There we go. Now we're talking. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This paper is really awesome. I really love the the fact that we're focusing on clinical outcomes and you know being someone that's in a community center where we don't have pediatrics, I'm really going to kind of lean on this to help make the decision. Is this someone I need to think about transferring? Can I really work on maybe just putting the IV in, giving some fluids, or is this someone that really can go home? So I hope everyone really enjoyed our discussion 
discussion and let us know your thoughts. Yeah, we're so grateful to have these incredible researchers and clinicians and experts in the field on our podcast. If you want to find out more about our podcast, you can go to ultrasoundgel.org. And until next time, we will talk to you later. More. Pressure. More. Gel. More. Pressure. More. Gel. More. Ultrasound Gel Podcast.